You know, I know this Sunday was supposed to be about, you know, love. But, you know, I was, as, as I was preparing for this, I just felt like God was going through, as I was going through the passage, that God wanted me to preach on, you know, the blessings of living a righteous life. And so it's going to be changed up a little bit this morning. I remember um, a while back, I love looking forward to family gatherings. And I was going to um, one of our family gatherings, and, you know, my mom had a big family, so I always enjoyed seeing all of my aunts and uncles. But I remember going to this uh, one family gathering, you know, late. I, I kind of showed up later than everybody, so I went in there, and I was looking forward to seeing my aunts and uncles who were all in, you know, one room. So I went there, and um, I said, hi. And I remember one of my aunts, her first remark was, hey, fatso, how are you? And, you know, I weighed about 40 pounds. I was 40 pounds heavier. And it it was like one of those moments where everybody was like, like, I can't believe she said that. And I was like, okay, what do I do with this? Right? She just insulted me in front of all of my aunts and uncles. And, you know, I just kind of laughed, like, ha, and tried, tried to laugh it off and change the subject. But as I thought of that, you know, I never really, it takes me a lot to actually hate somebody, right? Because I can't remember. But at that moment, I hated her for embarrassing me like that in front of all my aunts and uncles. And so I remember saying, okay, at the next family gathering, I was kind of like George Costanza. I was just thinking of a way that I could just, boom, stab that knife into her, right? I said, so I was thinking, I I had months to think about a comeback that would totally level her if she did that again, right? And so guess what? I come up, and okay, she didn't say it like that, but she did make a remark about my weight, but I couldn't bring myself to say the things that I really wanted to say, because part of it, I think that would have destroyed my Christian testimony to all my aunts and uncles, who we were trying to witness to at that time. And so, um, instead of looking to family gatherings, it was like, how do I deal with this one aunt that I really don't like, that I don't want to see, you know? And for some of you right now, you know, the holiday season, it's just that. Now, for most of you, you might not have any problems, but then there's some of you that you know it's the holiday season, and then there's one person in the family that you really don't like. Maybe they did something to you, and it's like, oh, man, this is the time of year when we need to get together. I don't want to see this person, but I have to. You know, how do you deal with somebody that has hurt you? How do you deal with somebody who has wronged you? And today, we're going to take a look at an individual who was wronged, but he, who he perceived he was wronged, but he handled it with truth, and he handled it with grace. And that's what we're going to learn today. So I hope that these lessons will apply, even if maybe this person isn't a family member, and you're not going to see them at your, you know, you know, family get-togethers. It could be somebody else. But today we're going to learn that righteous living balances truth and grace. You have to have truth 
and grace, and it has to be balanced. Righteous living precedes God's blessing. And the third is that righteous living requires discipline. Okay, so before we start, what is righteous living? In its simplest terms, righteous living is defined as living in obedience to God's word. That's it. Righteous living is defined as living in obedience to God's word. It's God's written word, and this is why this is so important. This is why we need to be studying our Bibles, right, to know what God's word says, because there is no, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't know. I'm sorry, I didn't know. I remember when I stayed overnight in San Gabriel one time, and I got a parking ticket. And I go, why did I get a parking ticket? You know, there are no signs here that tells me that, you know, I can't park here. And then I came to realize in San Gabriel, you can't park on the streets from 2 to 6 a.m. And so I went down to the police station, and I said, look, I got this ticket, and I but there are no signs here. I'm used to at least having it posted. And they said, well, there are signs. On every street where you enter San Gabriel, there's a sign. I said, are you kidding me? I said, I didn't know that. And you know what they said? Ignorance of the law is no excuse. So I still got a ticket, right? And, and so it's the same thing with, you know, God's word, right? You know, we need to be reading it because we can't plead ignorance, right? And, but not only do we have to know it, we have to live in obedience to God's word. But not only his written word, but his spoken word because the Holy Spirit guides us and talks us. The Holy Spirit has a plan for us. The Holy Spirit wants to act in the lives of other people. So, you know, in, you'll, you'll hear that deep, that still quiet voice that said, Dave, I want you to do this. Dave, I want you to do that. And once again, righteous living is obedient, uh, is being obedient to, you know, God's voice, right? But the first point I want to say is that Righteous living balances truth and grace. Righteous living balances truth and grace. What's truth? Truth is just God's word. Grace is God's mercy and forgiveness. Now, if you have your Bibles, can you turn with me to Matthew 1, starting with verse 18. Chapter 1, verse 18, and this is the verse that I read earlier on um, this morning. Now, the birth of Jesus the Messiah took place this way. When his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Now, in order to understand what's going on here, we have to understand that Jewish um, marriage ceremonies, they had two components. The first part was the betrothal period. Now, the betrothal period lasted about one year before the ceremony. And back then, you know, um, if a betrothal a couple, it was arranged by the parents, and it was a business deal where the parents of the uh, bride and the groom would get together, and they would enter into a business agreement that said, my son and my daughter and your daughter will be married, right? And they were arranged, because when you think about dating, right, that's how we do it today. But when it comes to um, dating in terms of its role in history, it's fairly new, right? The jury's still out on, is dating the best way for people to get married? Because up until maybe the turn of the 20th century, what? 
couples were matched. You know, it's only two generations ago where my grandfather, my grandparents were actually matched, right? And he was a tricky guy, right? I remember, you know, he came over here, and he's, he was 36 years old, but he sent a picture of himself to my grandmother's family of when he was 18, right? So here that my grandmother's family think, all right, look at this young, handsome uh, husband who went to America to earn a living, and he's doing well. And so my grandmother was 16 at the time, right? They didn't have a lot of money. So she comes over, and she's looking for this handsome 18-year-old man. And the next thing she knows, she, this 36-year-old came up to her and said, I'm your husband. And could, it was so funny, her disappointment. But she was poor. It was arranged. There was nothing she could do about it, right? And, and you know, it's crazy. She went on to have 11 kids, you know? And, you know, they stayed married for their entire lives, which was amazing considering how it started off. But that's the way most marriages were. They were arranged marriages back there. And um, you were actually considered legally married from the time you were betrothed. And the only way to end the betrothal or engagement period was to get a divorce, okay? And so you see that even though they were engaged, it was very different than how we um, view engagement, very different to our culture, because back then, engagement, for all intents and purposes, you were married. But even though you were considered married, physical intimacy was not allowed. You were not allowed to live together, right? That physical intimacy was only allowed after the marriage ceremony, which was a year probably about a year later. And the, after the wedding, the wedding ceremony was days of celebration. And after the uh, marriage ceremony was over, that's when the husband and wife, could, they could move in and live together. Now we see this, that they were in the betrothal period, okay? And then Mary was what? Found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. Now, at that time, you have to realize that Greek culture influenced um, the Roman culture. And so, however, this was not like the Greek gods, right, who took human forms and who had physical intimacy with mortals and they had kids, like the demig demigods, right? You know, so a lot of people say, is that the way Mary got pregnant? And no, that's not how Mary got pregnant. You know, the Holy Spirit didn't turn into a person and impregnate Mary. It was the creative power of God that impregnated Mary. The same created power where God created the universe out of nothing. That's the power that we're talking about here. And so we see that they're in this betrothal period. You're not supposed to have physical intimacy, yet Mary is with child. Right Now, this puts her husband, Joseph, in a very awkward position. Verse 19, it says, Her husband, Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. 
Now, according to Roman and Jewish law, if a wife was found guilty of adultery, the husband was forced to divorce her. There was no alternative, okay, for both Jewish and Roman um, law. So basically, from Jewish law, Joseph was required to divorce Mary. But what was the penalty in Old Testament law for adultery? It was death, right? However, at this time, that was rarely enforced. Now, Joseph now has a problem. You know, what do you do? At least when he was thinking about that, but basically it says that he was a righteous man. And so he was being righteous and having moral standards. He knew that he could not go through this marriage because he knew that he wasn't the father, right? He knew that somehow he probably assumed that somebody else had impregnated Mary and that she had relations with somebody else. So the law required him to divorce her. However, he balanced truth with grace. And because of his righteous love and kindness, he couldn't bear the thought of shaming her. Because if he brought, if he divorced her publicly, this pretty much would have ruined her life. She would have never been able to get married again. She just would have been shamed, and that pretty much would have ruined her life, right? Much less having people demanding that she would be executed, provided by the law. And if Joseph didn't divorce her, he could bring upon shame to himself because everybody would have assumed that he was the father. And it's like, wait a second, you had physical intimacy with your wife during this betrothal period. You are not supposed to do that. And so Joseph would have been shamed and that would have brought on tremendous shame to him and his family. And we can't understand the amount of shame that that would have brought to him. Yes, we, you know, some of us understand what shaming means, right? But for them, it would have ruined his father's business. It would have ruined Joseph for life also. And so if he didn't divorce her, it would have ruined her life, right? But it also, if he didn't divorce her publicly, what would have happened? that he would not have been able to get back the dowry that he had given to the family in order to have um, the family agree to be, allow Mary to um, be her husband. So he would have forfeited that. But he also would have been able to sue the family for breach of contract contract and he would have been able to gain financially so by divorcing her publicly he would have saved his reputation and he would have been able to gain financially out of this divorce however he loved mary he didn't want to do that to her right and so he decided to divorce her quietly which all he needed was two witnesses to say that Right, And so if you take um, a look at that, it says Joseph being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public grace, planned to dismiss her quietly. Now what's interesting about this, if you take a look at this from an emotional view, if you were Joseph, 
What's missing here? What do you think? There is no evidence that Joseph was angry. Did you see that? It doesn't record that Joseph was angry. If one of us was Joseph, you know, if I was Joseph, right, knowing me, I would have been ticked. And then forget dismissing her quietly. I want my money back. You know, I said, I paid a lot of money for her. You know, I'm going to do this right. We're going to do it publicly. My reputation's going to be restored. She's going to be hurt. And I'm going to get my money back. And then all is right in the world. If it was me. If it was me. But there was no evidence of Joseph being angry. Have any of you even thought of that when you read this? Right? We just read it, right? And we take the humanity out of it because we think, oh, this is the Bible. You are Joseph. How would you be feeling? But why didn't he get mad? Because he was a righteous man. He understood the truth. He understood the law. He understood his rights under the law, and he obeyed it by what? Divorcing her, because that's what the law required. But there was another side of his righteousness, that there was grace, that there was mercy, that there was forgiveness. He balanced truth with grace. So it brings us to the next point, is that righteous living precedes God's blessing. In verse 20, it says, But just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit, and she will bear you a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what has been spoken by the Lord through the prophet Matthew, through the prophet. Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. But if you go back to verse 20, it says, but just when he resolved to do this, the angel of the Lord appeared to him. It was only when he balanced truth and righteousness and he was going to divorce her quietly did the angel of the Lord appear. Now, don't you think it would have been nice or better or neater or more compassionate if the angel came well before this, right? And said, okay, Joseph, you're engaged to Mary. But you know what? She's going to be with child. And she, and it's, going to be through the Holy Spirit. So don't freak out when this happens. I'm just telling you this is going to happen. <laughs> I mean, most of us would have probably wanted to, you know, hear that announcement before all of this happened so you won't have to go through all of this. Oh, my goodness, what happened? I loved her. You know, how could this happen? You know, this could have all been solved if the angel came to Joseph well before this, right? But you know what? A lot of times, God doesn't work that way. Remember, I talked to we I, I, uh, several sermons back. I gave the illustration of God calling Moses, 
right? And what did God, when God was calling Moses, you know, when he was looking, when God was speaking to him through the burning bush, what did God say? This will be a sign that this is from me when you what? When you and all of the people come and worship me at this mountain. You know, I'm going to, you're going to go and you're going to go in front of the most powerful man in this world that had your life or death in your hands and you are going to tell him to free your people. However, the sign that shows that this is from me and they're going to do this is when you worship the people here on this mountain. After the fact. Now, there are times when God gives us these warnings or information or, you know, prior to whatever happens, right? He kind of like assures us before. But a lot of times, most of the time in my life, God does not give me the explanation before he asks me to do something. I am given the explanation and the reason after I am obedient. And that's true for most of us, that yes, sometimes God gives us a reason before he asks us to do some things. But the majority of the time is God is going to ask you to do something, and the sign that this is from him is going to be after you did it. Then he said, this is the sign that shows that this was my will. And so righteous living precedes God's blessing. Because it's already said that Joseph was a righteous person, right? He was a righteous person. And because he lived a righteous life, he was able to experience this wonderful blessing to raise the son of God. Even though he wasn't his physical father, he had the privilege and the honor and the blessing of what? raising the son of God. Why? Because he lived righteously. But that was true of Mary too. You know, we don't know a whole lot about Joseph and Mary because it's not, a whole lot isn't written about them in the Bible. But we could be assured that however they lived their lives, they lived their lives righteously. It doesn't mean that they were perfect by no means, but they lived righteously. Because what happens if Mary wasn't a virgin? What if she gave in to temptation? If she gave in to temptation, she would not have the blessing of giving birth to the Son of God. But because she did her best to try to live a righteous life, the blessings followed. Now, granted, you know, many of us aren't going to have the blessing of something of this magnitude, okay? I get that. But how many blessings are we missing because we're not living in obedience to God's word? You know, and I'll put money on this that, you know, if I was to meet Jesus, he would have said, Dave, there were so many things I wanted you to experience. There are so many blessings that I wanted to give you. But you chose to disobey me. You chose to do your own thing. Therefore, I couldn't bless you. Because God loves us. God wants us to bless us. And when we, now the way God blesses, and we should ask that God bless us. 
But when I say that we should ask that God bless us, we should ask that God bless us with the blessings that you want for us, not the blessings that I want for myself, right? Because some of our blessings, they all center around what? Finance, maybe career, maybe status. Now, if we live a righteous life, there are chances, you know, that that, that can happen because we see that in the Bible. We see that in Job. We see that in Abraham. We see that in David and Solomon. And yes, if we live righteously, you know, there is a chance that God might bless us with those things, right? But when we ask for God's blessing in our lives, we should. But we should ask, God bless us with what you want to bless us with, right? Because they are very different of what we consider blessings, right? God blesses us when he carries out his perfect plan in our lives, right? How many times have God, have you just sensed and you just know that God is asking you to do something, to talk to that somebody, to, to go somewhere, and you just didn't do it, right? Well, that was a missed opportunity for God to bless us. God blesses us with his presence in his life. You know, I mean, once again, his presence in our life is really difficult to explain. It's something that you just know. You just know you feel God's presence. Well, that's a blessing. We experience God's peace, joy, hope, and love. When all of our world is falling around, falling apart, we could experience God's peace right? Those are God's blessings, but they happen when we what? Live righteously in obedience to God, because if we are disobeying God, we are not going to experience God's blessing, and it doesn't mean that God is vindictive. He just loves us too much. He goes, Dave, what you're doing is hurting you. Dave, what you're doing is hurting others. I can't allow you to live like that. Therefore, I can't bless it. I can't bless it. But all you have to do is what? And the good thing is, all you have to do is confess. And then our relation, confess our sin, repent from that, and our relationship is restored. Last point is righteous living requires discipline. When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and he took her as his wife. So once again, we see the obedience of Joseph, but had no marital relationships with her until she had been born, and he named him Jesus. Now, according to Jewish law, they were married now. He could have had physical relationships with his wife, but he didn't. You know how much discipline that would have taken a young person to be living with somebody and then not having physical intimacy with them, even though you could? And there was a reason that Joseph did that. Because Joseph understood the prophecy. He understood that the Messiah would come from a virgin. So he had to make sure that there was no doubt in anyone's mind that he was not the physical father, that he was not the father. And I think this is why Matthew wrote this down. Right, Because this is an odd thing to write down. But I think Matthew wrote this so his readers would know that there was no question or no doubt that Joseph was not the physical father. That 
the Holy Spirit was the father of Jesus. So have you ever wondered why this even had to happen? You know, why couldn't God just come down as God and just say, okay, boom, you're, I'm God, I'm here, and I'm going to forgive all of your sins. Boom, bippity-boppity-boop, your sins are you're forgiven. Why did Jesus have to come as a person? Have you ever wondered that? Because Christmas is important. Without the virgin birth, Christianity falls, fails. It doesn't work. That's how important the virgin birth is. Because in Galatians uh, 4, chapter 4, verses 4 to 5, it says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, in order to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as children. And so what, what um, Paul is saying here is that Jesus had to come born of a woman who was born under the law. Right, you know, the Old Testament law, you know, the Ten Commandments and the 600 other laws. But basically the law that says what? All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is what? Death. And so the law stated that because of sin, we all deserve spiritual death. But what, what Paul is saying here, that only a human could be the sacrifice only somebody who was born under the law could be that sacrifice, meaning an animal, animals aren't born under the law, so they couldn't um, free us from the law. Even if God came down himself as God, God wasn't born under the law. Only a person born under the law could save us, right? Because born under the law, we were all trans. We all were proven guilty. Only a perfect human, Jesus Christ, could perfectly keep the law and perfectly fulfill the law, thereby redeeming us from guilt. That's the first reason Jesus had to come as a human, because it had to be born from somebody who was born under the law in order to save us from the law. Right, and then if we see in Hebrews chapter 9.22, it says, Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Okay, and so one of the things that we see here is that in order for the law to be fulfilled, in order to be fulfilled, it says everything, the writer of Hebrews said, everything had to be purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Okay, so once again, human blood needed to be say, uh, shed in order for human beings who were born under the law to be saved by the law. I know this might be confusing, and hopefully you could kind of stew on this during this week. But only a perfect human who shed his blood, one without sin, could take away our sin. 
And then finally, uh, Hebrews 10:4, it says, "For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins." See, when we, and when God established a sacrificial system back in the Old Testament, you know, only the blood could what forgive people and the nation of Israel of their sins. However, it was only represent it was only a representation because. Ultimately, it was only Christ's blood and Christ's blood alone that could save us, right? The animal sacrifices was just a representation of eventually Christ's death for us on the cross. And the, um, all the animals that were sacrificed had to be unblemished. They had to be perfect because that represented sinlessness. Now, we know that animals don't sin, but in order for an animal to be sacrificed, in order for the forgiveness of the sin, for their sins, it had to be unblemished. Therefore, we see that the person who uh, paid for our sins had to be human, born under the law, but they also had to be perfect. And this is why only somebody that was fully human and fully God, who was sinless, unblemished, could be the sacrifice for our sins. And this is why Jesus had to come to this world as a human. This is why the virgin birth is so important. This is why, you know, discipline is so important. Because let's say Joseph, you know, decided to say, you know what, I'm married. You know, I could have relationships. I can have relations with my wife. But what happens if he would have done that? Then everyone would have said, well, the natural thing would be, well, Joseph, you're the physical father, right? You're the physical father. But because of Joseph wanting to be a righteous man and living with discipline, he understood the magnitude of Jesus being born from a virgin, and he didn't want anyone to believe that only God and God alone was a father. So he showed great discipline. And so for us... To live righteously, we need discipline. If we, if we want to experience blessing, it requires discipline. And, and I, you know, we all blow it. We all do. We're not perfect, right? No one was perfect. But if we want to experience God's blessing, if inside of us there's a desire to live righteously like Mary and Joseph did, that we have to have the discipline through the power of the Holy Spirit to be obedient to God. And finally, Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who in every respect has been tested as we are, yet without sin. And this is another reason Jesus had to come to, as a human, that we have a high priest, which is Jesus. Jesus understands everything that we go through because he was a human. He was fully human, right? How he was fully human and fully God at the same time, to be honest, I don't understand. But if he was just God and had to go through all of those things, we're saying, well, you're God. You know, how, of course you could get through these things. You don't know how I feel. But Jesus was fully human. Everything that you feel, every hurt that you feel from somebody doing something to you, Jesus 
understands that because Jesus had to go through that too. So whatever somebody does to you, Jesus understands that. But it says that he was without sin. He was without sin. And this is why he is our perfect sacrifice. So as we come this Advent season, I hope that it's our goal to live like Mary and Joseph. Not perfect, but somebody who did their best to try to live righteously by obeying the word of God. So what's our weekly challenge this week? I want us to read Matthew 1, 18 through 25 every single day. Read Matthew 1, 18 to 25 every single day. If you are facing a difficult decision this holiday season, and I know some of you are, or some of you might, how can you deal with it balancing truth and grace? If you're going through a difficult situation right now, how do you balance that difficult situation with truth and grace? Right? And then, remember, righteous living precedes God's blessing. If you want to be blessed this year, if you want God's presence in your life, do you, if you want God's peace and God's blessings in your life, remember that righteous living precedes God's blessing. Finally, is there a relationship in your life that needs reconciliation? Do you have an aunt like I did that you're not really looking forward to to seeing at Christmas dinner, right? Is there someone in your life that a relationship that needs reconciliation? It says, pray for God's strength, courage, and wisdom as you attempt to restore the relationship. Remember, a reconciliation takes two. So we could just do our best. If the other person doesn't want to reconcile with us, there's nothing we could do, right? But it is our job to do our best to try to reconcile that relationship with what? Truth and grace. Worship team, could you please come forward and, you know, let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the example of Joseph. And yet being perceived of being wrong, he handled the situation with truth by being obedient to the law. But he also handled it with grace, with compassion, with kindness, with mercy. And Father, this was just a foreshadow of how your son Jesus Christ wanted us to live. Father, that your son taught that we are to balance truth with grace. That if we love you, we would obey your commands. But also when somebody wrongs us because you have forgiven us, Father, we are to forgive. Because you showed us mercy, we are to show mercy. Because you showed us kindness when we didn't deserve kindness, you we are to show kindness to those who wrong us. And Father, I know this is difficult, and Father, this can only be done through the power of the Holy Spirit. So as you sit here today, is there somebody in your life who has wronged you? It might have been recently. It might have been years ago. 
It could have been even decades ago, and you still hold a grudge against this person. That every time you think of this person, you just get angry, resentful, vengeful. I'd like you to bring this relationship to God right now and ask God to allow you to balance this relationship with truth and grace to restore this relationship as you came to restore our relationship with you. That you would not ask us to do anything that you already didn't do for us. So just take a few moments right now to ask God for that. Father, I thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit that actually gives us the power to forgive when people have wronged us. That, Father, that through the power of your Holy Spirit, it is possible for us to, for you to take away this anger, this vengefulness, this bitterness out of our lives that we feel towards one person. It doesn't mean that we forget the situation. But Father, when we remember, remember it, there is no malice. There is no bitterness. So Father, for those of us this morning who are coming to you and asking for your help, Father, I pray that you would grant each one of them the power to balance this situation with truth and grace to acknowledge that we have been hurt, but to acknowledge, Father, that we are to show mercy, kindness, and forgiveness as Joseph did, because that's what you did for us. Lord, I thank you so much that you don't treat us as we deserve, but because of your grace, you treat us with kindness with mercy, with love and forgiveness when we don't live righteously. So, Father, as we commit ourselves this week through the power of your Holy Spirit to live righteously, Father, may you change our hearts, especially in areas that we know that we're acting in disobedience to you. Father, will you convict us? Will you give us the strength that we need to turn from our sinful ways and return from you, return to you, so we can experience the so many blessings, Father, that you want to bestow upon each one of us. In your son's name we pray, amen.